0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org.
1: What a great morning. What a great looking bunch. What a wonderful group of seniors graduating this week. Thank you so much. To parents, youth workers, entire church, thank you for having such an important role in their lives and for them having such an important role in our lives. Looks like some doctors coming along. Uh, We're going to need them. We surely need, uh, well, we need every single one of them. God puts us all in the right place, doesn't he? Pray for them. Uh, Pray for one another as we see what great things the Lord is going to do in our lives. Well, two Sundays ago, we began looking into the book of the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, which was written some 10 to 15 years before the nation of Judah began to suffer at the hands of the Babylonians. The news was not good for the people of Judah. Habakkuk was not written to warn them to turn from their ways before it was too late, but rather Habakkuk was written to help God's people prepare for the judgment that was to come upon the nation. Habakkuk never addressed the people of Judah directly, but he recorded his dialogue with the Lord over the sin in the land. Uh, To review the outline given last week, just very briefly, in Habakkuk 1 1 through 4, the prophet asked a question. Why don't you do something about sin in the land? How can you let this go on? Then Yahweh answered, I am doing something. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And Habakkuk knew he meant to punish the people of Israel. And believers and unbelievers alike would suffer. This led to astonishment. How can you punish a wicked nation with an even more Wicked nation. This doesn't make sense at all. But God eventually led the prophet to the proper attitude the just one shall live by his faith. Fortunately, last week in our study of Habakkuk, at the very end, we made the turn from the bad news about the nation to instructions for how believers are to prepare for hard times by trusting. The Lord, as we have sung about so much today, we have a way to go and to process all of the implications of this verse, but we will begin by acknowledging that Yahweh contrasted the proud king of Babylon with the humble servant who trusts the Lord in Habakkuk 2.4. So we're going to be looking at this verse and some of the New Testament uh, companions. Behold, the king of Babylon's soul is puffed up, It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. As we learned last week, the righteous one shall live by his faith is parenthetical, a sort of by the way comment. He's talking about the evils of the king of Babylon and the people of Babylon. And then he says, but by the way, The the just shall live by faith. So, does it amount then to a kind of a throwaway verse? Hardly. It's repeated three times in the New Testament. And it covers three important facets of our redemption in Christ. It's one of the most important verses in the Bible. So, let's begin our time by reading Habakkuk 2.4. And then all three passages where this verse that is at the very heart of the gospel is repeated in the New Testament. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Habakkuk 2.4 Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Romans 1, 16 and 17 For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 3, 11. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law or by keeping the law. For the righteous Shall live by faith. And then Hebrews 10, 35 to 38. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live. By faith. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you and be seated. Now Habakkuk 2.4 is one of those verses. You could read out of context. And still understand the intended meaning. The person who is puffed up and full of self-centered desires. Has no intention of living a life that pleases the Lord. But the one who is Righteous. The one who seeks Yahweh, or the one who has been called by the Lord and declared righteous, that one shall live by the faith that has been given to him by the Lord. Okay, you might think that's a little bit of eisegesis. You know what eisegesis is? It's reading something into the text. Exegesis is taking. Extracting from the text. This is what we learn from the text Jesus, and it's a it's a very common practice in the church today, is reading into the text something that is not there. And then there's that extra Jesus that some people, as my professor used to say, want to put into scripture. Um the better translation of this is really the righteous one shall live by his Faithfulness. And then the Septuagint goes on to say, the righteous one will live by my or Yahweh's faithfulness. The translation of the Hebrew is a little tricky, and don't get hung up. Just know this, the righteous shall live by his faith. Since we know that we are tainted with Adam's sin, and we confirm our sinfulness every day, We understand that our faithfulness, what we do in our life for God, is predicated on Yahweh's faithfulness. If God is not faithful, any faith that we have is meaningless. That's why I talk a lot about faith is not faith in, well, you know, just a general sense that everything is going to be okay. Faith needs an object. It has to be the Lord. But unless it comes from him, our faith is kind of just out there and meaningless. Since a portion of of Habakkuk 2.4 is repeated three times in the New Testament, we know that it's an important verse. We can also see how important the Old Testament was in the writing of the New Testament. I've often thought when I'm reading through the Bible, wow. Time after time after time, verses in the Old Testament are quoted in the New Testament. And as often as not, when it's not a direct quote in the Old Testament, there's an illusion, an implication uh, of something that has been written in the Old Testament. So I've often thought that the New Testament is simply the Old Testament rewritten in view of the cross. There are many technical points that i 've been that I might have made if this were a deep study of Habakkuk two four and the verses where it is repeated in the New testament, but there 's not nearly enough time, even so some of those points, without me referring to them are going to make their way into the message as they already have in this study of Habakkuk, as is always the case from the Old Testament when we read the under uh, the uh, Old Testament, we understand it much better because of the New Testament. Even though the uh, Pharisees, see the, or excuse me, I'm I'm jumping a little bit ahead. Uh, I, I have to, we all have to acknowledge that Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection changed everything. So, Even though the Pharisees and the other religious leaders knew the Old Testament Scriptures, Jesus told them that they had missed the entire point, which was Him. (laughs) It was Himself. John 5, verses 39 through 40. You search the Scriptures. You do all these Bible studies. You know it front and backwards. You know it every which way, coming and going. Because you think that in your knowledge of them... Is what Jesus was saying. You have eternal life. And it is they. That bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me. That you may have life. So you're you're reading the Old Testament. You're studying it day and night. And you've missed. The whole point. What a bold statement by Jesus how could the most educated Bible scholars of his time have missed the same the, the main point of the Bible? Now, look, most of us can say we're confused about Scripture at times. We look at a verse and like, uh, I don't get that. We, we learn over time, but we have a difficult time some sometimes translating what Scripture means or understanding what it means. But... Surely God did not write Scripture to confuse us. It reminds us if the Holy Spirit is not guiding us, we cannot know God's will. When we try to live in such a way that we'll be good enough to tip the scales in our favor for eternity, it indicates that we haven't understood the gospel. That's what the Pharisees were doing Not only am I going to follow the law, I'm going to add 33 rules to the law about the Sabbath. And I'm going to keep every one of them. And I'm going to call you out if you don't keep all of those rules. And They did that with everything. For divorce, they made it much easier in some cases and much more difficult in others. That's the way they did with all the law. They made a law up one that they could keep and condemn others for not keeping. And so when we live in such a way that we're just trying to make sure that our good works outweigh our bad works, we don't know the gospel, which is this. Although we were hopelessly sinful people who could not ever be good enough to save ourselves, God loved us enough to send His Son who kept all the law? He didn't keep the rules, by the way, that the Pharisees had made, and that made them really mad. But he kept all the law on our behalf and died on our behalf. And when we acknowledge our sins and say, God, I am exactly who you said I am, that's what Habakkuk was wanting to do call the people to repentance, <clears throat> but they refused. In order for us to get to that second part of Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. We have to recognize how sinful we are. And ask God for forgiveness. And when we do and call out to Jesus to save us. Because he died. That we might have the faith. To trust him. And live eternally. When we do that. We become his children. And not only do we become His children, but we begin to understand Scripture. It begins to make sense immediately. You'll be learning about Scripture for the rest of your life, but once you trust Christ, the Bible becomes a living book with God speaking to you about Jesus by the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit. So, just before we try to see how Habakkuk 2.4 was applied in the New Testament, I want to give a very brief and incomplete guide for interpreting Scripture. These points are about as basic as they come. But it's easy to misinterpret Scripture if we lose sight of these principles. First, uh, the, in the Old Testament... Uh, These writings were given by God to his people. God spoke through his prophets. He performed miracles. He opened up the Red Sea. Uh, He appeared in Theophanies, or that is, God appearing to man in ways that he could understand. And Christophanies, Jesus appearing to us before his time. But in the end, he gave his people the written word of God. As we have just seen in John 5, everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. The bronze snake in the wilderness, the rock in the wilderness, a great King David in Jerusalem. The babe to be born in Bethlehem prophesied in Micah 5 two, The suffering servant of Isaiah. And on we could go. Jesus gave us the key for interpreting the Old Testament. Everything points to him. But Jesus' words can be difficult to understand, although it's true that our greater problem is not understanding Jesus, but obeying Jesus. But what do you make of Jesus' comments such as, the way to go to heaven is to be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. And we know we can't be perfect. If you will follow me, Jesus said, the way to be assured of heaven is to sell everything that you have, give it to the poor. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. You see the challenges with interpreting Jesus' teaching. Fortunately, the apostles interpreted Jesus' teaching in the letters that they wrote to the churches that were popping up and being planted all over the Roman Empire. So when you add Jesus' teachings with the apostles' teachings, you begin to understand the Old Testament. It makes a lot more sense. All this was directed and superintended by the Holy Spirit, bringing the people of God, Israel and the church together through the power of God's word. So please don't think of this that I've just given as a formal presentation of biblical hermeneutics or principles for study in scripture. That's what hermeneutics is. But it's enough to help us connect Habakkuk 2.4 with the New Testament. Let's look at the three places that this important verse is repeated beginning with Galatians 3.11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. In his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul argued against the heretical belief that the way to salvation was to believe in Jesus and to keep the law, the ceremonial law, all Of the law that had been given in the Old Testament. Paul made it very clear that our hope for eternity has nothing to do with our goodness. Our only hope is to believe the gospel. Jesus died for sinners. A person does not become righteous because he does good works. But because Jesus was perfect and died in her place... And Jesus declares those who believe, God declares those who believe to be righteous. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus plus anything else equals condemnation. The righteous one is righteous because of Jesus. And the righteous one shall live by faith. So as we... Come to the passage in Hebrews 10, where Habakkuk 2.4 is repeated, it will help to know a little bit about the context. The church to which the Hebrews, or the book of Hebrews was written, was cons- consisted mainly of or even exclusive- exclusively Jewish believers. There weren't many, if any, Gentiles in the church. All Christians were facing persecution, severe persecution, under Nero when Hebrews was written. Christians were in trouble. But the Jewish people were being left alone at the time. Many Jewish people were trying to find their way back to the synagogue because they thought, hey. We all serve the same God, right? I mean, we are talking about Yahweh here. The answer was emphatically, no. Unless your God is named Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we don't all worship the same God. You hear that a lot. Jews, Hindus, not Hindus, but Muslims especially, Jews, Muslims, Christians, we all worship. No, we don't. We worship A triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It does not specifically say this in the New Testament, but it is the unmistakable message in God's Word. One of the primary points of the book of Hebrews is, don't you walk away from Jesus because you do so at the peril of your eternal soul. There are direct similarities in the circumstances surrounding Habakkuk and Hebrews. Sin and wickedness were everywhere. There would soon be extreme difficulty for the people of God, some of whom would be killed because of their faith. Was faith enough to sustain them? Is it enough to sustain us? Well, it's worth reading this text again. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Is it worth standing for God in His ways, even though the world will call you a racist and a bigot at every opportunity? Well, according to Scripture, it's worth it. According to many who have paid greatly for their faith over the years, they would say, absolutely, it's worth it. You have need of endurance, verse 36. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised. Jesus will return. Keep your eyes on the heavens and remember, the righteous one shall live by faith. So wait, is that faith for salvation or faith for life? We'll find the answer in Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So once again, in the New Testament, the apostle Paul... Is employing Habakkuk 2-4 to make multiple claims about who God is and how He relates to His people. Before we look at these verses, I want to think about the context that is that goes before verses 16 and 17, the first 15 verses of Romans 1. You can think about the details of these points later if you wish. I I I I talk about numbers in this list that I'm about to give, and I counted and recounted several times, but I was on my own, so I hope the figures uh, add up and they're correct. If you take the time to read Romans 1, 1 all the way through 17, on your own, you'll see the principles for interpreting Scripture that were given earlier manifested in this text. So here are some interesting facts about the first Fifteen verses. First, God the Father is mentioned seven times, not counting the pronouns. And I'm not using pronouns in any way that we're using pronouns in our day. His, he, it talks about, they're all masculine. Two, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is mentioned eight times. The Holy Spirit is directly mentioned only once, But several aspects of his work, the holy scriptures of which he is the author, um, uh, I intended to come to you but was prevented, that's the Holy Spirit's work, spiritual gifts, they're all referenced in Romans 1, 1 through 15. The gospel is mentioned four times in Romans 1, 1 through 15. It's, It's one of those things. The gospel, if you're not looking for it, you probably won't see it that much, but when you put on those gospel glasses, it's everywhere in the New Testament. It's four times in verses 1 to 15 of Romans 1, and then it's central in Romans 1, 16 and 17. But just think about this. It was extremely bold for Paul to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in a letter to believers who lived in the capital city of the Roman Empire, from which the gospel, it's the same word, euangelion, of Caesar was proclaimed. Caesar spread his gospel. Now Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome, talking about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's settle in with Romans 1, 16-17 for just a bit, and then tie it all together. Because we have had so many years of understanding the availability of the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles, we fail to be amazed at the truth that was expressed in verse 16, that this good news that Jesus died for sinners is in equal, uh, it's available in equal measure to both Jews and Gentiles. Even though, as Paul is going to say later in Romans, salvation first came to the Jews, And then through the Jews, this blessing was extended to all the nations. Ever since Pentecost, and by the way, today is Pentecost Sunday on the liturgical calendar. But ever since Pentecost, Jews and Gentile believers are made one in Christ. With all barriers removed between those who previously were religious and those who were not religious. It was several years after Pentecost before Gentiles believed, but all the barriers were broken down at the cross, then the resurrection, and then when the Holy Spirit came to begin to build the church. In verse 17 of Romans 1, the full meaning of Habakkuk 2 4 begins to take shape in our thinking and in our hearts. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith. Human righteousness cannot be separated from God's righteousness. Furthermore, the emphasis in the New Testament is that we are only righteous because God declares us righteous. The passive verb in this verse, the the righteousness of God. Is revealed to us indicates that righteousness is not something we can attain, it's not something we can figure out, it is given to us by God. We can only know and understand this by believing His promises, promises that are centered in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. And it is far more technical in the Greek than it is in the English. Do not forget the context in which Paul was boldly proclaiming the gospel. Caesar spoke of himself as the redeemer and protector of mankind. He required worship from the people and he graciously gave them gifts. For Paul to declare Jesus... As the king of kings, to whom all glory and praise and honor were due. Well, those were treasonous words. If Caesar wanted them to be treasonous. Who was any individual to put another god above the state? Hostility to the gospel has continued all through history. It's always been dangerous for some to declare Jesus is Lord, but it's both our privilege and responsibility. In the earliest days of the church, Caesar wasn't concerned about some ragtag little group, religious group that was worshiping a crucified Savior of all the ridiculous things that anybody ever heard of. But as news of a resurrected man who was God began to capture imaginations and hearts and the allegiance of the people of the empire, then Rome sat up and took notice. When Romans was written, it was only a matter of time before the persecution uh, of believers would come in earnest. So how were these people to live? By the power of the gospel, the good news that God's righteousness has been declared for all who believe from faith to faith, just like Habakkuk wrote, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. So what does it mean that the righteousness of God is being revealed? You would understand if he just stopped and said to us, but he said from faith to faith. Understand first, that this phrase should not be separated from what follows. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In the same way that there is no human righteousness apart from God declaring us righteous, we possess no faith that is divorced from God's faithfulness, which leads us to faithful living. Verse 17 just doesn't allow us to live any way that we want to live. We are called to be faithful. From faith for faith indicates that we are to live by faith in God's promises from the very beginning of our relationship with him until Jesus returns or we go to be with him, whichever comes first. It is only one side... uh, it's only one of many verses that supports the Reformation doctrine of sola fide, faith alone. So do you suppose Habakkuk two four, being put in the context of Paul's letter to the believers was a comfort to them? <clears throat> I mean, they're getting ready to face persecution. Is this a comfort to them? Absolutely, it was. <clears throat> By the way... It indicates, first of all, that we belong to Him. If He is leading us to trust Him in the most difficult of times, it reminds us that we belong to Him. But there is also every indication that the church to whom the letter of Hebrews was written was also located in Rome, where we also encountered Habakkuk 2.4. The writing of Hebrews, though was written some 8 to 12 years after Romans was written, and thus it was much closer to active persecution of believers by the state. In all four verses, all four texts that we have considered today, there is a cost for believing, but our suffering is more than compensated by the Lord according to... To his ways. You've all already. Likely. Considered the cost for following Jesus. If you desire to please him. With your whole life. As we heard time and again. From these seniors today. There is a full blown effort. If you belong to Jesus. And are willing to say so. And all of its implications. You're willing to. State all its implication. There's a full-blown effort to shame you. You believe the gospel. You're willing to live your life according to God's creation order. And by his word, then the world wants you to be ashamed of that. It wants you to be ashamed if you freely proclaim that there is only one way to heaven. In just a few moments, Pastor David is going to lead us in a recitation of the Apostles' Creed. But before we close, I want to give a a contemporary list of beliefs that was shared by Michael Byrd in the Story of God Bible Commentary, forcing us to decide whether or not we will be ashamed of the gospel. Whether we'll be ashamed of the gospel or by God's grace, we will proclaim it boldly as Paul did. Proclaiming the gospel boldly does not require us to be offensive. The cross is offensive enough. We'll talk about this next week. You don't have to be offensive. But to us, the cross is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What do we believe? Well, hear these words from Michael Bird, but don't try to write these down. They're just not time. First, there is one triune God, not a plethora of gods, nor an impersonal consciousness, the heart of the universe. This is what we believe. The single most important event in the history of the world is Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus' death was atonement for human evil, not merely an example of human suffering. You believe that? God raised Jesus from the dead, and resurrection is no empty metaphor for God's continuing cause. Fifth, God has placed a human being, the exalted Lord, at the helm of the universe. Jesus is the only way to God, not one of many ways to God. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a real experience, not the name we give to our religious consciousness. The church is a gathering of saints for the worship of and service to God. Not a religious society with backward beliefs and Victorian-era morals. At the return of Jesus, every knee will bow, including every Christian, Jew, Muslim, Hindu, atheist, and Scientologist. Last, there will be a final judgment after which there will follow everlasting life or everlasting destruction for every man and woman of the world. Amen. That's what we believe. Let's pray. Father, um, It is not easy to live by faith when the world is not only in front of our eyes, it fills our eyes and our ears and our minds all the time, unless we intentionally take time to be silent and to follow you. Lord, as we sit at your feet and hear your word, may we believe And live according to the scripture. The righteous shall live by faith. Amen.
0: Would you stand and confess with me? We believe in God the Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ his only son our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into darkness. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.